0: Psalm 19. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declared the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Father, I pray that you would be our teacher tonight, as always, that you would um, breathe life into these words as we seek to apply them in our own walk with you. As always, Lord, Uh, Like those who came to the disciples, we say we would see Jesus. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a story. In 1867, a bearded Norwegian, are there any unbearded Norwegians? But anyway, bearded, um, this is a quote. A bearded Norwegian missionary whose name I couldn't pronounce at family camp, and I still can't pronounce it, Lars Skrishit, and his Danish colleague, a layman called Hans Borison. Found two and a half million people called the Santal living in a region north of Calcutta, India. Soon proved himself an amazing linguist. He quickly became so fluent in Santal that people came from miles around just to hear a foreigner speak their language so well. As soon as possible, began proclaiming the gospel to the Santal. I think that's how you pronounce it, to tell you the truth. Naturally, he wondered how many years it would take before Santal people so far removed from Jewish or Christian influences, would even begin to show interest in the gospel, let alone open their hearts to it. To Skrishut's utter amazement, the Santal were electrified almost at once by the gospel message. At length he heard Santal sages, including one named Colleen, exclaim, What this stranger is saying must mean that Thakur Jui has not forgotten us, uh, forgotten us after all this time. Skrishut caught his breath in astonishment. Thakur was a Santal word meaning genuine. Jui meant God, the genuine God. Clearly, he was not introducing a new concept by talking about the supreme God. That name obviously had been on Santal lips for a long time. How do you know about Thakur Jui, he asked. Our forefathers knew him long ago, the Santal replied. That story comes from the book Eternity in Their Hearts by missionary Don Richardson one of dozens he recounts from church history. Richardson goes on to document tens of thousands of conversions as the Santal people heard how Jesus Christ could redeem them to the genuine God. Summarizing another amazing story about the Karen people of Burma, Richardson says this about a tradition that they had about a deliverer. The deliverer was to be a white foreigner and was to come across the sea from the west ...with white wings, which we interpret as sails... ...and bring Waiwa's book. Some versions of the tradition said the book would have gold and silver leafing. The Karen nation was thus poised like an 800,000 member welcoming party... ...ready for the first unsuspecting missionary who approached them with a Bible... ...and a message of deliverance from God. Now the point Richardson makes over and over again in his book... ...is that God prepares the gospel for all people on earth... And simultaneously, he prepares all people on earth for the gospel. Even with so many incredible examples, we don't simply believe Richardson. But we do believe the Apostle Paul, who indicated much the same when he said this on Mars Hill. He said, God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their preappointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. It sounds as if God has prepared folks by scattering them all over, not so they will be lost for eternity, but precisely so they will seek him and find him. This is one of those head scratchers, one of those godly wisdom things that we, doesn't make sense to us. We worry about the unevangelized individual. How is the gospel going to get to certain people since they're so scattered and, and all of that? And Paul says, yeah, God did that and is aware of their scattering precisely so they would seek him and find him. It's very interesting. So how does God reveal himself to unevangelized people? Well, one way, according to Psalm 19, is through creation. Actually, we'll see another way next time we're together in Psalm 19, and that's through word of god in fact we'll see two more ways through the word of god and through our sharing of the word of god but for now we're looking at creation it is a revelation to all men throughout all time everywhere and so verse one again the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament shows his handiwork look around you look up day or night you immediately understand someone made the universe and the earth we stand on There is obviously what we would call today intelligent design. Life in the universe cannot have arisen by chance, but was designed and created by some intelligent entity. Now, there are scientists who claim that given an infinite number of universes, you could end up with a universe like ours by chance. Uh, Which, of course, is patently ridiculous because there are not an infinite number of universes. There is just this one That is obviously designed with intelligence. But as glorious as it is, I think the psalmist has something more in mind than just the act of creation itself, just raw creation. Let me give you one example. Until recently, trustworthy, conservative scholars and Bible teachers spoke openly about God putting the gospel... In the stars. Dr. Henry Morris, you recognize him as a giant in the field of Christian young earth creationism, had in his book, Many Infallible Proofs, a whole chapter discussing it. Today, if I even mention it, I'm accused of believing in astrology. One commentator said, and I quote, Although the present corrupt astrological use of the signs of the zodiac is forbidden by God, The original message brought forth by God, season after season, centered on the promised victorious coming of the Redeemer. And the truth is, there is, or at least there was, a rudimentary gospel in the stars. The Hebrew name for it is Maseroth. It is the gospel preached through the constellations, starting with Virgo, which represents uh, represents the virgin birth, and arriving at Leo, which portrays the lion, you have the gospel story chuck missler wrote this he said the signs of the zodiac the hebrew Maseroth, laid out god's entire redemptive plan long before moses there would be a redeemer born of a virgin who would take on the battle with the serpent the dragon and he would prevail i'll throw out a couple more names of solid prominent evangelicals who saw that god preached the gospel in the stars dr dr donald gray barnhouse and Dr. D. James Kennedy. I feel like I have to do that so that I'm not accused of being an astrologer, a crazy astrologer. But We've had kind of a shift in our thinking about this. Now it's passe. We don't want to talk about signs in the heavens or anything like that, uh, and you're laughed off the uh, podium. But in times past, this was all very common. Uh, Bible teachers referred to this. Uh, of course, it's, it's not what it was in ancient times, but it was there. In Isaiah forty, twenty six, and Psalm one hundred forty seven four, we discover God named the stars and calls them by their names. He can and he does use them to reveal himself to those he has scattered. So in verse two, day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, no language where their voice is not heard. How many of you remember Esperanto? Anybody remember what Esperanto? Esperanto was supposed to become the universal language for all the nations of the world. Instead of the universal translator that Captain Kirk had, we would just all speak Esperanto. Not so much. It didn't really work out. I remember going home as a kid. I forget. I must have been in junior high. Going home all excited that we were all going to speak the same language. and My dad quickly told me that was never going to happen. He was an American, and we speak English, and the rest of the world can speak English right along with us. (laughs) He would have liked my dad. Anyway, creation is a universal spiritual language. It's said to be heard everywhere that utters speech about its creator. It reveals knowledge about God. The Apostle Paul explained in the book of Romans that since the creation of the world, he said, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen... Being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that non-believers are without excuse. That's a mouthful, but it's fantastic. He says, invisible attributes. That is more than just raw power. It is things like mercy that we see as new every morning in the orderly flow of time and seasons. And he says that creation in some way reveals the Godhead. William MacDonald says the Godhead is more than just deity, it refers to God's character. Here's what I'm getting at. We normally say that creation reveals there must be a God, but not very much can be known about him from it, and you might even conclude that creation is cruel. And so that's the standard evangelical line when we talk about the heavens declaring the glory of God. Creation is, is wonderful. It proves that there is a God, but we can't know anything about him from creation. And in fact, if we look, we're liable to get off track and and he, we might conclude that he's cruel. But Psalm 19, if you just read the words, counters that logic. It suggests creation is in fact a positive revelation of God's attributes and his character. It says creation is speaking a kind of language to human hearts that reveals quite a bit more about God than we normally think. Verse 4, Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Line and words keep emphasizing that creation is a language God speaks to the human heart. Now the title of the Richardson book is from Ecclesiastes, where Solomon says, God has put eternity in men's hearts, I don't know why. I just I love that concept. I love that idea that every person ever uh, born has. We would call it. Some people say it's that hole in your heart that can only be filled by God. That God-shaped hole. But it's true. There is a sense of eternity, and not just that you know the general infinite eternity kind of. There's a sense of the eternity that the Bible talks about. We're spiritually wired, as it were. To sense and know that there is more, and 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 that eternity in our hearts, Christian, uh, not Christian, but creation activates that place in us that God has put, so we will seek Him. Our hearts somehow resonate with thoughts like David expressed when we contemplate creation. David describes the sun as if it was a person dwelling in a glorious tent, and then he further describes that person saying, in verse five which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. And so the sun to David does a lot more than show us God's power. It suggested to him the image of a bridegroom. I I suggest to you that's very strange. Some of you during the eclipse uh, a few weeks ago, or was it last week, two weeks ago, did you look up at the sun and think, That reminds me of a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Probably not. But David said that's the sense that he had. And I think it's not just his poetic license, I think he's telling us that God uses things to reveal much more about himself to seeking hearts. And so he said it's like a bridegroom. How is the son like a bridegroom exiting his chamber? Well, The bridegroom exiting his chamber is full of joy. I think that's the one thing I would key in on. That's a joyful moment. The son, therefore, communicates the joy of creation, hinting that the creator wants you to enjoy him. And so David had a sense of joy when he thought of creation. Not just raw power, not just there must be something out there. He he, he had an understanding of joy. It resonated in his heart and it created joy. How is the sun rejoicing like a strong man? To run its race. That speaks of joy as never diminishing. He keeps seeking us to be enjoyed by us. Verse 6. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. You can't always see the sun, but you're thankful for its heat. I was reading about the recent total solar eclipse. At totality, temperatures dropped by about 30 degrees and so if you were up where people could see the totality of the eclipse, um, you needed a jacket. Uh, because up in Oregon, the temperature wasn't all that hot to start with and it dropped about 30 degrees. Also in this word, heat is the hint of seasons of the earth. The sun's heat isn't constant, but we go through the seasons. And in them, we hear in our hearts that the creator is faithful and that he cares for us. And so the idea that we're drawing from this as we just read it the way it comes to us is that the psalmist isn't saying, if you look around, you can see intelligent design that there is some kind of a creator. He is saying that, but he's saying more than that. He's saying, if you listen with your heart, you will hear a language being spoken to the eternity in your heart about the nature and the character of God. You, you, you won't be drawn to this idea that, that the creation is terrifying, but that in fact it is orderly and wonderful and that God has created it that way to give us an environment in which to come to know him. The heavens declare the glory of God, not just showing us terrifying raw power. There is a language in creation that speaks to our hearts. So for sure, while creation itself is glorious, what it communicates is the glory of God. Creation is a revelation of God. It is sufficient to be used by God to begin to draw men to Himself by His further providence. And that's what we'll take on in our next session.